Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Happy New Year and welcome to the show, and welcome to 2020, the year that we finally catch ourselves the Sasquatch. I have one hell of a show lined up for you guys this evening. Ghosts, creatures, aliens, the whole shebang. So as usual, let's not waste any time and get started. So tonight we kick off the show and the decade with a call from Big Sky Country. This is Corey's story from the state of Montana. Hey, this is Corey from Montana. I was a truck driver the last five years, and although this story takes place in my personal vehicle, it may as well count. I was in a 91 Ford F-350 4x4 hauling a loaded car trailer in Molt, Montana. And... To understand the area, it's a very windy road downhill with like 30-foot drop-offs on either side of the road. To top it off, my brakes were going out, so I pretty much had to downshift to slow down and use the e-brake to stop. The other part about this truck is I had a really large steel handmade custom bumper on the front of it. Easily, easily would have taken out an elk and I wouldn't even have cared. On top of the fact that I didn't really care about that truck and I'd be happy to hit something with it. Regardless, I'm heading downhill with this truck and loaded car trailer. And from my left, crossing the road, is a four-legged cryptid. It is a large, white, canine-like animal. And the reason I associate canine features to it is it had the backwards kicked leg. I don't know if it quite fits into your large dog category or not, but it was albino. So this albino quadruped is probably three foot tall at the shoulders and over eight foot long because it it could block an entire lane while it walked across the road. So this cryptid has white fur and yellow tip spikes. And what I mean by the yellow tip spikes are from its neck to its posterior, we're probably six inch at the base, and five inch tall spikes of fur. They didn't appear to be hiding anything muscular or hard underneath the fur, but it it was kind of like you had a punk rock hairdo with hair gel. And I thought that was really weird because it was probably 10 or so furry spikes. And the the head of this animal, it it had a normal dog-like muzzle, black eyes, it had pointy ears like a canine, but the snout was unreasonably long. 
And we're not talking alligator, but maybe like a foot and a half. Long enough to say, hey, that's that's weird. He's got a long face. So back to my point about not caring about hitting this thing and not being able to stop anyway. So it slowly walked across the road in front of me. And I saw it coming. And if I had brakes, I would have been able to slow down and not hit it. But when it got to about the middle of the two-lane road, it turned its head. And it scared me. And I was like, you know, hey, if I hit this thing, I've got a really powerful handgun sitting next to me. It shoots 410 shotgun shells. I can put it out of its misery, call fish and game. They can identify it, and we'll have a really cool stuffed animal. But the look it gave me scared me so much. I swerved my truck and loaded car trailer with no brakes on a two-lane road with dead-end drop-offs to avoid hitting it because I wasn't sure I was going to kill it if I did hit it. And I was just so stunned and shocked. I, I downshifted my truck, slowed down, got it stopped probably 20 car lengths down the road on this hill, got out and looked, and the area was grassy, not trees. I mean, I know we're talking Montana, but this particular area was just grassy knolls and some some cows in the area. And immediately to my right was like a rural housing development. And I'd have been able to see where this thing went. I mean, it was a, a downslope, a hard downslope, and it went in right into grass and probably 500 yards out were houses. And I didn't see this giant white thing anywhere. This is September 2014, I want to say. So no snow on the ground, decent weather. It was evening, the sun was starting to go down. As far as I could research, the closest thing I could even come up to was an albino anteater from North America, which A, would be a sight in itself, and B, to be in Montana would just be something else entirely. I think in October, I called Art Bell when they had a cryptid specialist on, and she kind of wrote it off as a one-off cryptid, and I'm like, all right, well, that's cool. But I used to truck drive from Billings, Montana to Great Falls, Montana on a weekly basis, and there's this little town called Stanford, Montana. And on the sign for Stanford, Montana is this advertisement for this white wolf, the legend of the white wolf. And I'm like, oh, what's that all about? So I stopped in there one day, went in their little museum and they had this giant stuffed white wolf. And this wolf just terrorized this town, the local ranchers and farmers, and it was extremely smart. But sure enough, one guy took out his rifle one day and killed it. And they hung it up and stuffed it. And it was strung out from a line. Things tend to look a little bigger, you know, from hanging from a branch. But, I mean, it, it was as tall as a guy. I mean, it was a huge, huge white wolf. And maybe this is along the same lines. I don't really know. It didn't appear to be a wolf to me. We have a really nice zoo in Billings, Montana, and I've seen wolves, and it just didn't have that wolf feel. I mean, it had the big bushy tail, and like I said, canine-like. But the long snout and the other weird stuff, it just did not scream wolf in my mind. But if you're curious, feel free to look up the legend of the Stanford, Montana, White Wolf. And uh, if you've heard anything like what I've told you about, I'd really like to know about it. Thanks. Thank you, Corey. Now, I hate to say it, but Art Bell probably should have vetted his cryptozoologist a little better. Because I can think of at least two separate cryptids that could be the culprit in Corey's tale. The first is one we've mentioned here on the show several times. 
the Shunkawara Khan, a name that translates to carries off dogs. Now, a specimen of this mysterious species was actually shot and killed in the late 1890s. The taxidermied body still sits on display today. A dark-haired, canid creature. Now, on paper, what Corey saw may seem like a Shunkawara Khan. But what if I told you there was another cryptid that better fit that bill? The Wahila. Similar to the Ontario White Wolf, and often considered to be the same animal. The Wahila, or Saber Wolf, is a large, wolf-like creature said to inhabit Alaska and the Northwest Territories. It is larger and more heavily built than normal wolves, with a wide head and proportionately larger feet, and with long, pure white fur. The animal's hind legs are said to be shorter than the front legs, and the tracks show widely spaced toes. Witnesses describe it as being about three and a half to four feet at the shoulder. And wahilas are never seen in packs. So are presumably solitary. Native Americans describe the wahila as an evil spirit with supernatural powers and describes it as killing people and removing their heads. That passage comes courtesy of Cryptid Wiki. So if we break this down, the color is right, the size and physical descriptions are as well. The creature was spotted alone, another attribute that suggests it may be one of these wahilas. But what of the spiky fur, you ask? Well, predators do all sorts of things to get their food, including going headfirst into an elk carcass, getting blood, guts, and who knows what else on their fur in the process. And anyone with a German shepherd or husky can attest that their fur sometimes gets spiky in the back when they get wet. So maybe this was a blood and gut stained wet wahila. There's only one hang up though. Location. The wahila is said to inhabit Alaska and parts of northwestern Canada. While in close proximity to Montana in comparison to other states, that is still a distance of around a thousand miles. Which leaves me with one last hypothetical question. Could it be possible that a creature such as the wahila is being pushed from its traditional range by global warming like polar bears and other Arctic-dwelling creatures? Or is it simply a very large and very fearless white wolf? So thank you again, Corey, for taking the time to share it. I certainly hope we give you a little bit more information to go by. Now we're going to switch gears here for our next entry. This strange story comes to us from Miguel in Parts Unknown. Hey Derek, this is Miguel O'Hara. I heard a couple of episodes ago that you were looking for some doppelganger encounters, and uh, that reminded me that I had an experience like that. Well, I'm just going to get right into it because it's kind of long. So just as a background story, I grew up in Chicago, and I lived there from the time I was born, 86, to 2007. So that's important. So anyways, I didn't leave Chicago until I was 21. And then uh, I didn't leave the state until I was like 22, 23, something like that. So from Chicago, I moved to Rockford, which is 90 miles north of Chicago. It's uh, on the outskirts of Illinois, almost by Wisconsin. Uh, anyway, so I moved from there to New York City. So this was like 2013. And this girl where I worked at at the time, comes up to me randomly, I've never seen her before, and she's like, oh, 
how nice to to see you again. And I was like, I never seen her. And I was like, she was super pretty, so I would have remembered her. And I'm like confused and like, what are you talking about? And it's like, oh, uh, weren't you just in Florida or something like that? And I'm like, no, I've <laughs> never been to Florida, right? And she's like, but no, 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 I saw you down there. And I was like, when? It was like two weeks ago. And I'm like, okay. And so, you know, eventually she just like brushed off. Maybe someone looked like me or whatever. So, you know, 2013. And then, so 2014 or 15, somebody else comes and she was from LA. And I met her and she's like, oh, I remember you when you were in LA. And I was like, what? <laughs> so, so I'm like, yeah, you were just there, weren't you? I'm like, no, I've never been to LA. So, you know, and so she brushed it off and says, oh, you know, someone looks like me, whatever. And, and so then, you know, a third person, like 2016, tells me, oh, I remember seeing you in D.C. And I'm like, oh, you met my, you know, twin brother, Vicente. And I was like, just joking around. And she's like, oh, you have a twin? That makes sense now. And I'm like, no, no, actually, no, I never, I've never been to D.C. And she's like, but I just saw you over there. And I was like, no, you didn't. I didn't, you didn't see me. And so, you know, fast forward a couple months or whatever, and then, uh, I live in Cincinnati now, and, you know, so a couple of months ago, this other girl shows up, and she never met her before. She's from, like, Battle Creek or something, and she's like, oh, it's good to see you again, by the way, and I'm like, what are you talking about? It's like, yeah, weren't you in Miami? And I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm not, I wasn't in Miami, but I'm pretty sure you're talking about the same person that everybody keeps remembering me as, and I call him Vicente, who is my twin brother. And he's like, oh, yeah, the twin, that makes sense. Like, no, 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 I'm joking. It's not my twin brother. So anyways, so I've been brushing it off all this time, but, you know, uh, it, it's kind of weird that five people have told me that they see me, and they're, like, they're, you're, they're identical. Like, we're identical. Like, same height, same weight, same, like, beard and everything. And I'm, like, 6'3", so it's, like, kind of hard to mistake me for someone else. But anyways, so I thought that was interesting, just looking out and making – seeing it maybe you know someone else he's Vicente I guess I call him and uh yeah it's kind of weird and I even told my mom's like hey did you have like an illegitimate children somewhere but uh anyway she denies it and uh so yeah that was my doppelganger story and I uh hope you like it and uh I'll stay tuned in your podcast all right bye thank you Miguel that one is pretty creepy Maybe you just have one of those recognizable faces. Then again, perhaps you started a fight club in the basement of a bar. That's a Tyler Durden reference. Or also, this could be one of those glitches in the Matrix that we often hear about. A hiccup in the quote-unquote simulation that allows Miguel's avatar to be duplicated. I have no clue about any of that stuff. Frankly, it's well above my pay grade. But what I can tell you, however, is that of all the doppelganger stories that I've heard over the years, this has got to be one of the eeriest. Not necessarily because of what happened, but the frequency by which it did. To be mistaken once, twice, or even three times would be significant. But for it to happen as often as it did with Miguel, well, that is almost enough for me to lean toward the paranormal. Thank you again, Miguel. And if this happens again, maybe ask the person that recognized you to show you a Facebook page or uh, some other social media. 
In my opinion, that's the quickest and easiest way to get ourselves a direct answer. So thank you again, Miguel, for sharing that tale. Our next submission of the evening is more in tune with the ghostly realm. At least, that's what I think. The following is Rick's call from the state of New Jersey. Hi, Derek. I really enjoy the show. I've been binging it the last couple of weeks. Anyway, I'm Rick from New Jersey, and uh, this uh, this story happened last year, 2018, in Whitesville, Virginia. I was going down there for the uh, for their annual science fiction fantasy convention. The first night there, there was kind of a pre-convention uh, game night that I went to. A lot of fun, and uh, I left maybe about 10.30 p.m. to head back to my uh, hotel to get some sleep. Um, clear night, um, and there are no issues with, with weather. And the town itself, um, it's fairly rural, but it's a well-lit town. So there's street lights, there's traffic lights. The roads at 10.30 were fairly clear. Um, I mean, there was really nobody on it. It was, like, empty. Uh, that said, it was kind of slow going back to my hotel because it's one of those towns that's just rural enough where a lot of things run out in front of your car. And for the most part, all of that was easily identifiable. You know, within like about a two-block radius, I had I had a raccoon, a dog, a cat run out in front of my car, you know, causing me to like slow down. I was already going pretty slow. It's a 25-mile-an-hour uh, town. But all of that easily uh, easily seen in the headlights or the streetlights until uh, the next one, I spied uh, movement out of the corner of my eye, so I, so I hit the brakes. Um, again, nobody on the road, relatively clear night. And then I watched as what appeared to be a pair of human legs walked past my truck. And I say human legs because there was nothing above the knees. So I'm just sitting there watching these things walk in front of my truck, maybe about 20 feet away, no more. And then they disappear into the grass uh, on the left side, I'm, I'm sorry, on the right side of my truck. And I turned my head to follow them to see if I could like see them anymore, because I didn't really know what was going on. And sure enough, I'm parked right next to a cemetery. So that's pretty much the extent of the story. Um, I s- sat there for maybe about 30 seconds longer, just kind of like taking this all in. Um, and then I just drove back to my hotel. Um, there was no shoulder on the side of the road to park, and the cemetery look, looked uh, closed. I wasn't about to break in or anything, but uh, it was just uh, it was just really interesting, uh, very different, and def- definitely a cool way to start uh, a science fiction convention, if you will. No idea what it is or what it was. I'm not going to go out on my limb and say it was a ghost. Um, it looked like what it looked like. As I said, a lot of other things ran in front of my car. In fact, uh, a couple blocks after that, a deer ran in front of my car. Everything easily identifiable. Um, you know, maybe a trick of the light, maybe maybe a ghost. I don't know, but uh, it was kind of it was kind of cool uh, to see anyway. Um, you know, it was it was kind of nice to like go down there, have that happen, and uh, come back with a cool story. So anyway, um, I really dig the podcast, and uh, you know, if you, if, please feel free to share this. Thanks. Thank you, Rick. Weirdly enough, this is not the first time we've heard of only legs darting in front of someone. Several seasons ago, we heard from a caller, I believe in Alabama, 
that described seeing a little green butt and legs run across the road in front of their car. Another caller mentioned a pair of legs running through a kitchen. And on the latest episode of Paranormal Caught on Camera, we actually feature a story where a gentleman saw a pair of legs in a home in England. So whatever's going on, it seems like there's some sort of precedent for Rick's encounter. But if it's answers you're looking for, I suggest you follow the green butt. Because like Rick and our previous callers, I'm simply out of ideas. Maybe someone listening can shed a little light on this subject. If you've seen something mysterious, legs dart in front of you, or any other paranormal encounter, please call the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Or visit the website at monstersamonguspodcast.com and click on the Report Your Sightings tab for more options. And also remember that I'm still looking for calls from the Anza Borrego Salt and Sea area. So if you've seen something there, please reach out to me. And I've actually received quite a few written submissions from a gentleman named Ray from that area. So Ray, if you happen to be listening, is it possible for you to call those stories in rather than email them? I would love to share them on the upcoming documentary. And speaking of the Salton Sea, if we head north a few hours, we'll find ourselves in the location of our next story. The following was submitted by Ashley from here in California. Hello, Derek. My name's Ashley. I live in Monterey, California. I've called a long time ago and never followed up with the message as it cut off. But I lived in Seth Valley a few years back and lived there for two years. And in my time in Death Valley, learned a lot of local folklore, but also experienced a lot of very interesting, I don't know if I would call it paranormal, but just very bizarre experiences. In my first year moving there, we would see these drones. They're actual Air Force drones that look like a plane. They're just extremely small. They would always be hovering just above the trees, and there's not many trees in Death Valley. So if there's anything hanging around the trees, you're going to realize that it's there. Anyway, uh, we would always see them. We would always, you know, poke fun about it and make up our own little, you know, stories of what's actually going on. Uh, there was one day that I was walking to work. We lived about half a mile from where I worked. Usually in Death Valley, there's not a cloud in the sky. And if a bird flies overhead, it's just a small little ripple fluttering over the foothills. As I'm walking to work, one of the foothills, which are quite large, I might say, was completely engulfed in a shadow. You know, very similar to when a bird flies over and it casts a shadow rippling over the land. This, too, was rippling over the foothill, but it engulfed the foothill it was very bizarre and i looked straight up thinking i'm gonna see you know a huge airplane first off i might mention there was no sound i heard nothing and there was nothing in the sky there wasn't even a cloud it was very bizarre i went to work and i was talking to a couple of my colleagues about it and they were telling me how they would look in the sky see something there look back and it would be gone or you know they too would you know see like um when you drive at night in death valley it's almost as if it sucks all the light surrounding it. So when you're driving in this big valley, you can only see, you know, feet in front of you. You can't really see anything surrounding you. 
there's only the the one highway going in and out of Death Valley, and everything on either side of the road is just covered in trenches or foothills. You can't drive straight, but people would talk about seeing two parallel lights similar to a car. One would be, you know, a bluish color, the other a normal white light. And they would keep up a normal pace with the highway, and the lights would start off in different directions. I've seen it myself a couple times. I just assumed it was campers. It was really bizarre seeing the light continue in a straight pattern without, you know, going over the terrain and seeing those lights fluctuate with the terrain. I never got a weird feeling about it. I just, you know, associated it with campers, but who knows? Anyway, uh, so a girlfriend and I were going to this little ghost town where one of the local uh, wells had a ruptured and a lot of donkeys would hang out there. So it was just a popular place you can go and get photos of donkeys. We're driving out there and it's very far out. So you have to have a full tank of gas. And a girlfriend and I are halfway, you know, towards the tank and we decide to turn around. And as we turn around to the right hand side of me, now we're in a big valley. So I could, you could see for at least 15 miles, but at the end of the valley, there's these, you know, sharp, very steep mountains. So I looked to my right hand side and there was this huge airplane. It looked like a, like a fighter, a fighter jet. I could see, I could see the person in the jet. I could see their mask and their goggles. I could see his hair. And he was flying just above the ground that I could see below him, but I couldn't see the mountains in the distance. So he wasn't flying very high up the ground and we didn't hear anything. So I looked to the right. I'm just, my jaw dropped. I'm kind of in shock. I, you know, probably shouldn't have, but I swung my fist over to, you know, grab my friend's attention. She swerved, looks over, and the time it took her to look over, the jet spiked straight up and just shot in the air. We never heard a single thing. It was so crazy. We were so close to the jet, but the thing was, we were driving against the way he was coming before we turned around, and we didn't see it. It wasn't until we turned around and I just happened to be looking out the window that I noticed it was there. And my girlfriend saw it. We both, it was weird. But in Death Valley, it's known that there's quote unquote Area 51 out there. And the local area has surrounding Air Force bases, not all of which are located on a map. There's a little town you could go to called Tannemount Springs, something of that nature. I can't recall. And you could go there the best place to get gas and it's notorious for you know watching fighter jets do these crazy intense maneuvers you see them you know fighting against each other or a cluster of them just dive bombing and doing all kinds of weird maneuvers it's really cool quite the spectacle i was talking to a couple colleagues about seeing that jet out there and they none of them were surprised nobody was shocked nobody thought i was a liar nobody was questioning it they just accepted it because People see so many strange things out there. I mean, I could I could fill up your whole voicemail with all the experiences that myself, my friends, and, you know, my colleagues have either experienced or heard of. It's just quite a unique place. But I wanted to share my story. I called it in a very long time ago and never followed up with that. I think I got cut off. Uh, I really appreciate your podcast. It's awesome it's a really you know great opportunity for people to call in and give their experiences feel heard and also listen to other people it's it's a great podcast you're doing a great job i hope you have a great evening and hopefully i'll call in in the future take care
Thank you, Ashley. That area really seems to have some sort of magic to it. Now, I've never actually been in Death Valley, but if I play my cards right, that might change in the coming months. But I have been on the outskirts several times, and I myself have noticed a military presence. The last few years I was fishing in Kernville, a small town a little over 150 miles from Death Valley. I saw numerous military jets ripping through the canyons. None that I sighted were unidentified or silent, but given the numerous bases in that area, nothing would surprise me. So thank you again, Ashley, for taking the time to share that call. And next time, see what you can do to maybe snap a picture of one of these mystery planes. Just whatever you do, be mindful of the infamous Men in Black. Now I have a few more stories to share with you tonight that might just blow your mind. But before we get to those, follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And don't forget about that infamous Facebook group. Addie, Warren, Tony, John, and Sarah do a bang-up job of delivering news, stories, show info, and plenty of memes. So join that little community today. Maybe you're one of the unlucky that didn't get what you wanted for Christmas. Well, luckily for you, the Monsters Among Us shop is open 24-7. So swing by and pick up a t-shirt, hat, mug, or coming soon, tote bag. Hit up the website at monstersamonguspodcast.com and click on the shop tab. For those of you with a time machine, Season 2 of Paranormal Caught on Camera kicks off on January 1st. Obviously you missed it, but you can catch the rest of the season at 10pm on the Travel Channel every Wednesday evening. And if you watch carefully, you just might catch yours truly in a segment or two. Alright, enough of those boring announcements. Let's hear something scary. Well, I believe Connor's call from the state of Georgia may be exactly what we have in mind. How's it going, Derek? My name is Connor. I do not care if you use that on the air, but... Uh, I've got a story from when I was living in Savannah, Georgia, for about 10 years. And uh, my buddy and I had this pretty insane encounter with uh, uh, unknown objects one night. And I think it was it was our junior year of high school, so that would be 2011. And I don't remember the exact day, but I know it was a Friday night in October of 2011. And my buddy Brennan and I were driving about 45 minutes to our friend's house in Pooler, Georgia for a party. I want to be clear up front, we hadn't drank any alcohol yet at this point, but I think we did smoke uh, weed about an hour or two before we ended up driving out there. So we weren't really feeling it too much, but we were maybe about 15 minutes from the house party and we were driving with all our windows down, the sunroof open because it was a really nice night very clear not too cold and as we turn off the main road out onto a like a quieter side street i remember looking up through the sunroof and i saw a couple maybe a dozen orange looking pulsating orbs that were flying what seemed to be like maybe 50 yards above the treetops and i remember yelling at my buddy and just saying hey you know look at this and he looked through the sunroof and then out his his driver window and saw it too and as we were staring at them we turned onto another street 
and we looked up and out in front of the windshield and saw maybe eight or nine cars pulled over too with uh you know the occupants and drivers standing outside the cars looking up at the sky and some were pointing and trying to take pictures and stuff um so we knew we weren't you know super messed up or you know seeing things and we we pulled over right you know behind the rest of the cars in a line kind of on the side of the road you know once we pulled over we looked up after we got out of the car and there were maybe two to three hundred of these pulsating orbs up in the sky just flying in this like perfect grid formation and i i remember trying to take a few pictures with my phone but none of like none of the orbs ever showed up on the pictures even when we tried editing them and stuff but you know as we're staring up at it having no idea what this stuff is i remember one of the other drivers who'd pulled over an older gentleman looked at my buddy and i and just said and i'll remember this boys you'll never see something like this again and then you know a few minutes later the formation of orbs passed fully overhead and the sky was empty so my buddy and I immediately jumped back in the car and tried to head in the direction that we thought they went. But we never ended up, you know, seeing anything else. And although this was like seven, eight years ago, I can't remember off the top of my head, but my buddy and I still talk about this and are still at a complete loss as to what what we saw. We, you know, scoured the internet looking for any mention of, you know, this, I guess, event anywhere and to this day neither of us have ever found anything on the internet or anything outside of each other's account i guess i was really lucky to you know have someone who's still one of my best friends you know witness it with me and i hear a lot of people saying that you know other people that they see things with you know don't necessarily corroborate it or you know don't want to talk about it but brent and i i have always been super um you know into talking about it and We never really felt like we could share it with too many people because it just sounded ridiculous. I remember when we went to the party, you know, after we saw everything eventually, everyone there was like, oh, you guys must be, you know, super drunk or really messed up. Like, that that makes no sense. And, you know, we just stopped talking about it pretty quickly. But that's my story, Derek. Um, I just wanted to say I, I, I just got into your show pretty recently, and I've been listening to it about every day. And after hearing so many UFO experiences and the way that you treat them and the people who reach out to you, it made me want to reach out as well. Let me know what you think, and thanks for your time. Bye-bye. Thank you, Connor. Speaking of paranormal caught on camera... On Season 2, I reviewed several videos showing what Connor appears to be describing. One was obviously a balloon release. The other, I believe, was a flock of birds, illuminated by city lights below. But still, a few of the others were not so easily dismissed. I'm wondering now if one of the other cars that stopped with Connor to observe this strange phenomenon managed to catch some footage. Maybe someone out there has seen something from Georgia that kind of fits this description. If that's the case, please shoot me an email. Now, weirdly enough, the mention of drones forming a grid fired something in my brain. A news story I remember reading about just last week. The following clip comes courtesy of NBC Nightly News. 
tonight, a growing mystery in the night sky over Colorado. Fleets of unidentified drones reportedly flying in grid patterns, even spotted by law enforcement. I had what I believed to be a drone pass over me and it was headed towards Yuma. Some residents giving chase. We got close to one and it descended. I swear it got closer to us and then the light shut off. So far, this video they shot is the best evidence to emerge. The sightings reported across five counties in Colorado, as many as 30 drones flying in formation, some with wingspans estimated at six feet, with the FAA saying they don't have any concrete information to act on. On Facebook, some residents asking, can we shoot them down if over our property? But authorities warn shooting at them is dangerous and unlawful, and at this point, while the drones may be mysterious, they don't appear malicious. Gotti Schwartz, NBC News. Something tells me that the Colorado incident and the Georgia incident are two separate, well, incidents, and probably not related at all. Then again, the descriptions aren't far apart. So is this some sort of government program, perhaps? Something like Ashley's experience in Death Valley? Drone reconnaissance? If so, what are they looking for? What are they capable of? And more importantly, where do they come from? Thank you again, Connor, for taking the time to share that experience. And do me a favor. Keep those eyes towards the skies. And that's going to bring us to our final call of the evening. We've skirted around this particular subject many times, but I feel like we've never really dove into it. Until now. The following is Julie's call from the state of Oregon. Good morning, Derek. My name's Julie, and I'm from Oregon. I was about three years old, so this would have been uh, 80, 81. And I started having nightmares that little warthog people were coming to my window at night, trying to take me somewhere. I know they were little because they were about my size. They were maybe about you know, three feet tall, four feet tall. I told my mom about this and they, my mom and my dad, and they just had no idea what I was talking about. They just thought I was maybe having, you know, nightmares like little kids do. I remember being really upset about them thinking that because I knew they were real and they were coming to my window and I was absolutely terrified. And I had nightmares at that time in my life and they were nothing like little warthog people <laughs> well one night i to sleep and woke up knowing that the little blue warthog people were at my window again i was terrified i put the blanket over my head as my mom had taught me to do when i was afraid well the next thing i remember is the little blue warthog people I'll describe them better, I guess. They were about, like I said, three to four feet tall. They had these uh, cape cloak things on that covered their head, you know, like a hat or something. Their faces were exposed still. They didn't seem to have a neck. They had little arms. 
They were kind of roly-poly in shape, and they were bumpy. This is um, part of why I called them the warthog people, and they also had what I could best describe as upturned noses. Really big eyes. Like I said before, they were blue in nature, uh, like a gray blue. (laughs) At any rate, they had taken me to some place, and it was cold. And I looked around, and everything was silver. I remember laying on a silver table. Uh, this was before I had any idea of surgical tables, but that was very much like like an autopsy table, you know, something that would be sterile and and just it was completely flat. I remember having a sheet of some sort over my body, and I recall being so completely terrified that I decided to try to fool them into thinking I was dead. Because if they thought I was dead, they would have no interest in me anymore. So I was holding my breath and attempting to breathe as shallow as possible. But for some reason, I could see them, though I feel like I had my eyes closed. But I could see them. And they were talking, but I didn't understand them. They were communicating with one another. And then all of a sudden, there was a door, and this, and the room was round. <laughs> I know it sounds so cliche. Um, and in walked what at the time I had no, no reference for as well, but also um, now I do. It was a gray alien. It was tall gray. He wasn't wearing any clothes. He had big almond eyes and he was so much more scary to me than the little blue men. I suddenly was even more afraid than I had been before. I remember the the gray coming in. I always referred to him as the man in my mind. But he came in and he seemed I I don't know how to describe it. He was angry or upset with them, but he wasn't actually, there was no emotion to it. He was just disciplining them. And I remember very clearly hearing him talking, but he wasn't opening his mouth. The gray man was disciplining the little blue men for bringing me. And I remember distinctly hearing the words, she knows she's here. And it was just like that, that he said it. She knows she's here. Take her back now. And just like that, I was waking up in my bed. My bed was soaking wet. For a second, being, you know, a little child, I thought that I had peed the bed, but I realized quickly the entire bed was soaking wet. I knew the little men were outside my window. I could uh, hear them. I don't know how I heard them, but I could hear them making their weird little sounds. They made weird sounds. They didn't talk. They, like, we talk, but they, it was like animals or something. They were, like, making weird little sounds, <laughs> and I heard them going away um, from my window, and I 
immediately tore the blanket off of myself and ran out to my parents. Now, as I grew up, I never forgot that dream because for years I was terrified. I mean, it it became less and less so as time went on, but I was of more afraid of of going to bed that first year after that than I've ever been afraid of anything in my life. That's how come I remember so clearly uh, what had happened to me. My, I didn't even tell my parents for a long time because I was just so scared and I didn't think they would believe me because I'd already told them that they were trying to take me. So I didn't think they would believe me. Well, time goes on. I grow up. I start learning about aliens and, you know, they're never described as little blue warthog people. (laughs) Now you fast forward to, you know, about 2005 and I watched for the first time the movie Communion with (laughs) Christopher Walken. And he had the little blue people in his movie were, I'm almost crying, were exactly like the little guys I saw that took me to this place. Furthermore, they're associated with the greys, and I have no idea what all of that was. I, I, It was extremely validating seeing that movie, and I kept thinking, oh, that's based on a true story, based on a true writer. I, <laughs> maybe I should let him know that I've had a similar experience and he's not crazy and of course I didn't I've just actually kept the story to myself almost completely for years I finally told my mother about the little blue people and what had happened to me and she said she knew something had happened because she'd never seen me so terrified for so long well now you fast forward again to about 2008 my mom had breast cancer She's going through the pre-treatment before they go in and do surgery to remove the, the lump. And they had to do a complete scan, an MRI, a complete CT scan. And they came back to her, my mom's doctors, and were argumentative with her about how she hadn't filled out her forms correctly, that she had had surgery before. And she said, no, I've had surgery on my hip blah, blah, blah. They said, no, you've had brain surgery. And she said, no, I've never had brain surgery. That's something you don't forget. And they said, look, and they showed her these two rice size, so what, like a centimeter, just under a centimeter, scars that were perfectly aligned on either side of her head, where they said that she had had implants or or surgery on her her brain, and they were really adamant. They were arguing with my mother about uh, her having this surgery on her brain, and they were showing her the MRI that showed where there had been, I, I don't know, these little things that were inside of her head, and... They didn't recognize them. They didn't know what they were. My mom was in shock, and she just said, I have I have really got nothing to tell you. I have no idea what that is. So they went ahead and moved on with her treatments, and everything went great. 
thank God. And um, that was that. She and I started talking, and as I had said, I, I brought up the aliens experience that I had had, and she started telling me about how when she was four years old, she had this dream that she, what she called the sea monster would come to her bed because she lived literally on the beach. Her house was a beach house. So to her mind, they were sea monsters, but she described my little blue guys. And she said that she didn't remember any sort of being abducted or being taken anywhere. She just remembered they would come in and she would start screaming and her dad would come in and settle her back to sleep and he'd go back to sleep. We really don't have a clue what either of our stories are. We know that our dreams, our, our thoughts at the time that were that they weren't dreams, that this was very real, that we were very much being taken by these little monsters. And I have, I have, I have nothing else. <laughs> so I do not share this story very often. I think I've shared it maybe two or three times in my life because it just sounds so absurd and so ridiculous. And I've never heard anyone else talk about the little blue men besides myself, <laughs> my mom and Christopher Walken in the movie Communion. I, in fact, don't really look it up or try to investigate because it actually scares the crap out of me still at 42 years old. I'm afraid that by talking about it now, telling the story or looking it up, I am inviting them back because I truly believe it was a real experience at this point. Um, anyways, I know it's a long story. I hope that you are able to share it in some way, because I'd really like to know if anyone else has experienced the little blue men when they were children. Perhaps they have, perhaps more of us have, and we were dismissed like I was and my mom was by our parents. That's my really crazy sounding incredible story of being abducted by aliens, I think. I hope not, but I'm scared to death it's real. Thanks again, Derek. I really like your podcast and I've been telling everybody to listen. Thank you, Julie. I admittedly know very little about Whitley Strieber, the author of Communion, the book that the movie was based on, that Julie talked about. I did, however, watch a few clips on YouTube. The practical effects aren't exactly scary anymore, at least not to me, but a ten-year-old version of me would have been downright terrified. But I was curious about Strieber's experience, so I managed to track down an interview he did back in 1987. Here is a snippet of that interview. See if you can link any similarities to Julie's call. My perception was that these small beings, about three or so feet tall, came into the room and uh, it carried me out forcibly. And that perception is very vivid. The I mean, vivid in the sense not 
that a dream is vivid, but much more in the sense that life is vivid. Even though, as I said before, the way I felt was not the way I feel now. My body was tingling. I was uh, semi-mobile. I wasn't really able to move my arms and legs. Uh, I was terribly confused by the speed with which things were happening. So I wouldn't say I was in a normal state of mind at all. Did they come into your house then? Into my bedroom, yeah. But I woke up and saw one of them. They made noises. There was noise downstairs. And I woke up and saw one of them standing in the doorway of the bedroom. But every American had his alarm system. It didn't go off. It was it was turned on, my alarm system. And yes, I do have an alarm system. And it, did, it just didn't go off. According to your wife, you completely changed from that day on. In what way? Well, I became terribly nervous, upset, irritable, afraid of my own shadow, uh, unable to sleep deeply enough to really be healthy, uh, distraught. I reacted like someone who had been attacked, raped, uh, assaulted. What did they look like? What did they look like? <laughs> well, certainly nothing like you. Uh, uh, and you should consider yourself fortunate in, that, in this case. They had uh, large, dark eyes, the ones that I saw uh, most clearly, slanted, almond-shaped eyes that gleamed and were quite startling, uh, long, thin faces. I almost would say that one of them had a rather sardonic expression on its face. I, although I don't know whether I would defend that proposition. Back in 1983, something odd happened here that we relate to this now, although at the time we just described it to a peculiar event, which was a small white thing, about this, about three feet tall, two and a half to three feet tall, first appeared in the middle of the night and poked my wife in the stomach and woke her up and startled her, frightened her. We thought it was a nightmare, of course. Then a couple nights later, it happened to me. I assumed that I had had a nightmare because of her nightmare. <laughs> and, however, our little boy, who was then four, uh, we had told nothing about this. And a few nights later, he woke up with the same apparent dream. And at that point, we became concerned that something a little odd was happening. Then the next thing we knew, he had had a babysitter one afternoon and the babysitter had seen this little white thing standing on the uh, on the fire escape outside the kitchen window and had been so terrified by it that she had uh, she had uh, called her mother to come help her we don't know what that was that clip was provided by the Dutch television show TV show so maybe you caught a few of the similarities Obviously, we have the blue men that Julie spoke of, but also the description of the greys being present. Julie's demeanor after the incident changed, as did Streber's. And like Julie and her mother, Whitley and his son seemed to have some sort of connection. They both seemed to be affected by the same phenomenon. Now, of course, these details are merely anecdotal evidence, nothing concrete except for maybe those scars that Julie's mother discovered 
Coincidentally, there are several different doctors across the U.S. that have taken interest in these strange scars and implants from supposed abductees. So perhaps, Julie, the next move here is to contact one of those doctors. Have them take a look at your mother. Maybe this phenomenon is something they've seen before. Hopefully that will help you get at least a few answers. So thank you again, Julie, for sharing that experience. I'm terribly sorry you had to go through it. Real or imagined, it sounds terrifying. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Warren Ponavit and Addie Lloyd. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. Additional support was provided by Addie Lloyd. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And that music you're hearing, and that's Co.Ag. Thank you all for listening, and until next week. Tonight's bonus story is brought to us by Jay in Parts Unknown. Hi Derek, I have a story that my daddy told me. Back in the day I used to love to go squirrel hunting with my dog. His name was Face. When my dad found out I hunted in the woods behind my grandparents' house, he became very concerned and said to me, you gotta be careful. Apparently when he was hunting there years before, He said that something about two and a half to three foot tall that looked like a big ball of hair chased him through the woods. It was so close to him when he first saw it that he didn't have time to raise his gun to fire. He said the only thing that saved him was a hole through some honeysuckle vines that he crawled into. Luckily, the big ball of hair ran right past him. Now this story scared me to the bone and something scared my dad. That's not easy to do. He was the toughest man that I'd ever known. I still hunt there to this day, but I still won't go that far from the house. Thanks for letting me share, Jay. Well, thank you, Jay. And I gotta be honest here, this is the first time I've ever heard of anything even remotely close to this. I've heard plenty of hairy creatures, but nothing in the two and a half to three foot tall range which makes me think, are we dealing with some sort of juvenile of some undiscovered species? A young Sasquatch, Bigfoot, if you will. Then again, there's all sorts of skin disorders, hair disorders. So is it possible that this was a known animal with some sort of genetic mutation that would cause its hair to grow much, much longer than it should have? 
Either way, we truly enjoy the story, so thank you, Jay, for taking the time to share it. And thank you for sticking around to the end of the show. Have a great night. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.